We're joined by Brad Bankston. Brad is the commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference and the chair of the Division Three Football Championship Committee. And although this is his first year as the chair of the committee, it's far from his first time around as you can't be the commissioner of the ODAC and not have a deep knowledge of Division Three football as the ODAC has hosted the Stag Bowl since 1993. Uh, Brad, thanks for joining us. I know it's been a long few weeks and especially a long weekend. It's been a long weekend, Brad, but uh, it's a pleasure when you have a chance again, uh, as I've said earlier to several people, to work with a, a great group of, uh, of committee members that are trying to do the best they can for Division Three football. So um, long day, yeah, long night last night, but uh, we get a chance to rest tomorrow. What's the process these days of how at-large teams are selected? Can you take the listeners through it? Yeah, uh, the best thing for you to understand is that as we've gotten the AQs, taking the AQs out of play, we know who's in. Uh, we look back at the regional rankings within each region that we had just, uh, using last night's call as an example, reviewed uh, to try to determine how the regional advisory committee had voted, uh, to look at those numbers to determine how they fit within the puzzle that has been the last couple weeks, uh, and make the most sense of them knowing that uh, the next team uh, after those AQs, and, and in this case, uh, I think I've read somewhere on your site the, the Wesley bid uh, has been taken care of. Um, we've we've moved the Pool B team in, and of course the Pool B team could be just as creatively, uh, I guess, interesting as uh, as Pool C. And um, then we look at each uh, remaining teams uh, that are on the uh, the, the individual regional uh, rankings, uh, and we list all four of them on a board. Uh, in the past. Uh, we had had uh, a process that was more, I guess, collaborative uh, in that the committee members uh, took the opportunity uh, to discuss the issues. We might put four on the board and have a very open discussion about their, their, you know, their strengths and their weaknesses and how they compare to the four. And now we have all these gadgets that the NCAA has that we can click buttons and compare teams from head to head to give us updated numbers. Uh, but in the end, we all agreed to some degree. Uh, which team advanced in. Uh, this past year and last year, uh, I guess this past year and this, this year currently, uh, that system changed, and it changed across the board for the NCAA, and whether it was record-keeping for them or uh, just ensuring that the process was confidential. Uh, committee members now are required uh, on the course of the call, and of course I was here at the NCAA uh, meeting, to cast ballots over the computer. And uh, the four teams that are left uh, that are up there, one from each region, um, are then voted on one through four teams with uh, with one, uh, the fewest number uh, of votes. Uh, it's ranked one through four, one being your best. Uh, is, is, is then taken into the field, and the next team from that region uh, then advances to the board and is considered with the remaining three uh, with their addition. We have thorough discussion on those again, uh, taking into consideration the new one that's on the board, and we vote the same way. So it is a little bit different process than it was. It wasn't requested by the sport committees. I think it was more of an administrative move on behalf of the NCA, and they would certainly have to explain why they did it. Do you think that that results in a different uh, in, a, in in different selections? I could see where having a, a secret ballot as opposed to everybody you know kind of talking out loud, um, you might have a situation where some of the committee members who might be silent on a particular team instead have the opportunity to have an equal uh, say in the voting, so to speak, as everybody else does. Yeah, I think that certainly that possibility presents itself uh, in any given kind of, uh, you know, secret balloting process that uh, you, you're not asked to 
to say your opinion out loud. Uh, I, I will say that uh, to to a man uh, on the committee uh, last night and all of our deliberations up to this point, and even uh, as Joy with Joy as chair last year and the years prior to that, uh, we all are very vocal, and uh, and that that opportunity presents itself. I do think um, that that ability and uh, being able to to cast cast the ballot, uh, so to speak, also decreases the influence, perhaps, of a more uh, verbose uh, committee member, perhaps, selling one team over the other. Uh, and I guess it could work both ways, Pat. I, it would be the best answer, and that's really not giving you an answer. But um, I prefer, in, in, in what I do for a living, which is really just trying to relate to people as best as I can within the conference environment, and um, and conduct some championships along the way, I'd much rather talk it out. But, you know, they didn't ask me when they paid the change, and I doubt they'll ask me if they change it back the other way either. <laughs> yeah, uh, for the second year in a row, the committee chose two lost teams to uh, get at-large bids when one lost teams were available. Is this the wave of the future or the way of the present? Is this the way it's going to be from now on? I, I don't know. I, you know, I think that the committee and the composition of the committee changes. Uh, and when the composition of the committee changes, the, the subjectivity of how you apply the criteria and, and the process, not necessarily the process of selection, certainly not what I described earlier, but how somebody processes it in their mind. Um, and, and as the composition of the committee changes, you know, we've got three new members this year, uh, they, they carry their own opinions. And, and as they carry their own opinions, they can influence the group. And, you know, they'll have two new members when Tim and I rotate off next year. So... There'll be five members with one or uh, one or less uh, years' experience. They may think a different way. You know, if I think back just from the relationships that I've had with the committees, which goes all the way back to Moose Malmquist in 1993, what a wonderful man he was uh, in, in leading that group. He did a great job. But the committee has changed, you know, I, and you remember this, uh, in your evolution of D3Football.com, the 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 once uh, the, the undefeated is undefeated one loss is one loss and two losses forget it and um, I've tried to and Joy did a great job it really isn't me it's Joy's influence on the committee and the selection process to say you know hey wait a second you know if we've got a selection criteria that allows us to have strength of schedule now you know we we try to determine what's a significant difference and if you can believe point zero zero four is significantly different than, uh, you know, from one to the other, up or down, which is kind of hard for any of us to comprehend. Really? Um, you, let's use this, this, let's use strength of schedule, but then how you balance strength of schedule related to how many losses you have in region and, and how that was influenced by who somebody else played, and you, you really get lost in it, and we try to, we try to do the best we can to keep it simple, the old KISS method, you know, and, it's up to each person as to how they choose to, 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 to go one way or the other. Yeah, I'm not sure point zero zero four has a big difference uh, over a 10-game football schedule, maybe on a 40-game baseball schedule or even a 25-game basketball schedule. I think I had heard uh, very recently, in fact, that uh, 50 points, point oh five oh might be the, the type of strength of schedule uh, improvement it would take to overcome a second loss. Yeah, you know, we, we haven't defined that. And then uh, if you ask Jim Wright, uh, who is in charge of the statistics office here at the NCA? Who's, who's been here for you know 
yeah. an eon, uh, and, and I say that affectionately because he's a wonderful human being, he'll tell you that, you know, you basically take the top, you take the bottom, uh, you subtract that, and you divide it by the number of teams in the region to come out with what the, what the significant difference is. Now, if that's statistically uh, significant or if that's the proper way to do it, um, God bless anybody figuring it out. I'm with you. I think that the 10, uh, 10 games is problematic. I think we all are aware of how problematic that is. And, and as it's not going to change much, but, but as the criteria changes for Division Three, which next year a, a game is a game, nobody's saying that's what it is, but that's really what it is, uh, and limiting uh, your schedule or forcing you to have a minimum of 70% in regions. So the region evaluations will still be there. The, re- the evaluation regions will still be there. But we'll have secondary criteria. We'll have one criteria, and it'll be every game you play in Division Three. And with that, you know, at least it takes out a little bit of the, the, the crutch you can use to go to sec- secondary, which oftentimes makes little or no difference. And um, we've clamored. We've talked about it. We've, we've, all, all, we've expressed interest for four years to see something different. And as much as they're trying to objectify the process, I don't, I don't know what else is better, really. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a good solution to it. I know you've thought about it a lot. You probably have your own suggestions. Well, actually, I, I think with, with 10 games in football, we are really limited to the things that we can do and, and kind of stay within the Division Three philosophy. I, I'm glad to see a game as a game. I'm not sure if it makes much of a difference in football, but I think uh, come around basketball season, it'll be a, a significant difference. I agree with you. I think it will. And um, it, that's, it, it's really just been change takes time. You know, this AQ thing was so controversial when it started. And, you know, we've seen that evolve and we've seen the concepts evolve. We've seen the criteria change. Uh, at the same time, now we're seeing that, uh, you know, regional competition, if you limit somebody or, or require them to have a certain minimum uh, number, we can control that, but you, you, you don't penalize somebody for, for playing somebody that, uh, you know, is a traditional uh, game for them that may be 200 miles away and, and not within a region. I mean, they've legislated their way from what was a region uh, into uh, it's hard to figure out what actually is your region. And um, I'd use Huntington as an example, playing uh, Adrian last week. I'm talking to Coach Turk on the on the rack, and he says, "Is this a region game?" You know, and I'm like, "Yeah, but the only way you can apply it is to go to the to the NCAA uh, manual and look under the constitutional regions uh, or districts within uh, within the NCAA membership for it to count." You know, Alabama and Michigan are in the same region. Yes, they are. Um, you know, it's crazy, and, uh, and so they've you know, they've kept the, the, the region name in there, and, and now we're getting there. And uh, you know, maybe it'll take three or four more years for something else to happen. I don't know, but uh, and credit to the people that are working with it. Anthony Hallman that works with us, and you know, for God's sake, having to tolerate us for you know me for two days and our committee the time that he has, and he will in Salem, and through the through the course of the uh, playoffs is, is not an easy task. Having worked with uh, Anthony over the course of the last few years for Division Three baseball, let me tell you, uh, I have a lot of respect. And that baseball committee, um, just you know, just so you know, they're cooped up in a you know in a in a what passes for a Class A luxury box for you know five days straight. Um, uh, as much as you guys on the football committee uh, enjoy uh, each other's company, I really hope the baseball committee enjoys each other's company because that is uh, that's some pretty tight quarters and a lot of time spent together. Um, yeah, it, good time with our group. I'm sure they do as well. Is there a way to get the regional advisory committees to agree on their criteria? It kind of seemed this year that the South and West Committee valued strength of schedule more, while the East and North lined up more by winning percentage. 
Yeah, I think that's the goal that we should have moving into the future, that, um, you know, dependent upon the regional advisory committee, that we have more direction, uh, the ability of the national committee, uh, at the same time respecting the regional advisory committee. Uh, it's somewhat hamstrung as to how much shuffling we do. Uh, we did make some changes uh, throughout, the, throughout the year, trying to put ourselves in a position to, I guess, better position the selection process, not intentionally for one team, uh, but to be able to defend that process uh, in the end. And that took some tweaking along the way. Um, there's not a lot of feedback other than the uh, regional co-chairs uh, actually relaying that information back to the committee. And again, you know, it, 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 that's a secret ballot as well. Uh, we used to vote on uh, online while we were on the phone. Uh, you may submit it by email or something, and, and there was a belief that it would be better if it was a secret ballot. And the only people that see those ballots uh, are the NCA staff members. Uh, we do see uh, point totals. We see how many ballots an individual team might have been on, uh, but we uh, we do not uh, we do not uh, see actually how a, uh, how a committee member votes. So do you? I you know I know that um, there's been talk that you guys didn't have the the power or the authority to kind of overrule a regional committee anymore. So is that is that really true, or do you guys still have some th sway over their last recommendation? Yeah, we do. Um, this actually this past year at our uh, chairs meeting that we convened in, in September here in Indianapolis, we had a good discussion, a very hearty discussion related to how difficult it was for the national committee to deal with a regional advisory committee rankings for two weeks uh, prior to the, I think I've seen on your site, the secret squirrel vote or the, uh, right. the squirrely poll that, that it was today. Um, but we do have some flexibility. Uh, we do have some flexibility, although there is still a tremendous amount of respect for the work that those coaches are doing on those racks and respecting their opinion at the same time if we've got something that we feel like uh, just doesn't make sense, um, we, we do try to make adjustments where we can. Why isn't that final regional ranking made public? I don't know that. Um, I, I think uh, I have never asked that question. Uh, I think I don't know why it wouldn't be made public. I think part of it is probably the awkwardness related to how teams are then paired uh, because of the, the, the mishmash, uh, I guess, uh, bracketing uh, that we've experienced over the last couple of years with trying to blend regions and figure out which who should be ranked where or seated where. And as you're aware, I know we've had a number of conversations related to uh, the, the, the non-seeds placed on the bracket just for, you know, probably a confusing reason, such as Linfield and Pacific Lutheran playing each other in the first round, which honestly I don't think any of us wanted, but, um, but, the, but the selections uh, and the pairings prevented us from doing other things. Yeah, I think that, you know, and, and this is something I think I've probably told you before, I've certainly told other people at the NCA and, and on the committees in the past years, is that I think people understand the when the seatings break apart because of travel, because we've done a good job of explaining that. You know, the first uh, the first time we ever dealt with this back in 1999, we had uh, a six seed and a seven seed playing each other in the first round because of travel. And, you know, people just right. got used to it. I, I can't say anybody liked it, but I think it was it was an ex there was an explanation there that people could understand. And I don't really agree with that explanation for not releasing seeds for what it's worth. Right, and, and you know, I think that we've talked about it as well. That's really an administrative decision that the NCA has made in this situation uh, to withhold those seeds. Again, I think if you look at the bracket, 
and you creatively kind of take a gander at it uh, and you follow bracketology. Uh, I don't know who that person is on ESPN, but he probably doesn't lay them out. He just tries to pick who gets in. But you know, if you look at kind of how it flows, I think it, it, it's an effort on our part to do the best we can given the matchups that we have and, and try to hold seed you know, within the eight that we have as much as, we, as, much as possible. And seeding's informal because we're moving people from the south and then we're evaluating them with teams in the east and you know, we're doing the best we can really honestly just looking at the numbers uh, to try to make some uh, some heads or tails out of it i have to ask about the top seeds though because uh in the past as recently as if not last year certainly the year before we knew who the uh who the top seed was in each bracket each of these four groups of eight and uh, how they ranked against each other uh now uh, what we were what we were kind of told today was you know basically to use our historical knowledge and read the bracket. So what I'm looking at is uh, then Linfield being at the very top, the first team listed in the bracket would be the one seed. And then Mount Union, which is the home team at the uh, at the bottom end of the bracket, would be the two seed. Then as things would match up, uh, Mary Harden-Baylor being on Mount Union's side of the bracket would be the three seed overall nationally, and St. Thomas would be the four seed. Can you confirm or deny that? I would say that you're a very intuitive uh, individual. That's a, that sounds like a non-denial denial. I'm just going to say that for the uh, for the listenership out there. Uh, I think that's uh, that's yeah that's um, respecting the process. At the same time, I think you've uh, been very attentive uh, to uh, to the to the bracketing that uh, you you may have called on to. And you know, I, I have to say, over the last couple of years, the the creativity in in putting together the pairings in the rest of the bracket has been great. Uh, was there some pushback from the NCAA after how the football championship was bracketed last year? Uh, you guys had an extra flight last year in the first round, and then we had some nice crossover games later in the bracket. And this year we're back to the minimum number of first-round flights, just one. Yeah, I, I think the word pushback would probably not be the best phrase. I think it's a, a growing concern uh, by the association in general related to travel costs. It, it really started to, to bubble up last year. Uh, we had our commissioner meeting this summer. It was extensive conversation about the state of the championship's budget related to travel. Uh, my understanding is the championship's budget was uh, for Division Three alone was, was over a half a million dollars in the hole for travel uh, last year. And I think we all could probably pick and choose, Pat, where we would want to blame it. Uh, I don't think the NCAA is blaming the bracketing that we did in football last year. My understanding is football wasn't the, the sport that was the, that had the highest uh, or the largest deficit. But... You know, they are concerned about it, and, and it's not getting any better. I mean, I think we, we all know that if you fly, and you fly enough, that uh, you, you're not able to, to get a seat, you know. And these planes are full. They're commuter airliners. They're, you know, they're smaller planes that these airlines are flying now. And we can't send uh, a North Central team, I don't think, um, to California Lutheran in this pairing that we have quite possibly without a charter. Um, now they're both going to a large area, leaving from a large area and going to a large airport, there's a better chance that there are more flights. But, you know, I've said this and expressed this often, I think the committee has as well, you know, having four or five groupings on different commercial airline flights, landing it, you know, you know, three and four hours apart, uh, isn't a good championship experience. And, and oftentimes with football, they're chartering flights and if you go out there and take a look at what a chartered flight is, and I have no knowledge as to what, uh, whether I'm in, uh, correct or incorrect, it's not, this number does not come from here, but you're talking upwards of thirty or forty thousand dollars for a for a uh, for a charter flight uh, for a football team uh, to go 
and in this case, uh, north central to, to Cal Lutheran could be more expensive depending on how far away it is. I would say that's similar to a number I've heard, but again, it's not my own research. It's a number I've heard. Right, I agree, and I, and I, have done, I haven't done research either. I mean, we don't see a report that, you know, Anthony comes in the room and shakes his finger at us and says, you know, we were over budget. You know, the NCAA has a contingency fund. They, they, they plan for these things, I'm sure, year in and year out to have this happen one year and not the next. Uh, but at the same time, it is a growing concern, and uh, prices aren't necessarily going down, and they're increasingly having to charter more, which I think is increasing their cost. Now, bus travel, that's probably up, too. Uh, all of our uh, all of our member institutions are suffering through that as well, and and hopefully gasoline will will go down or continue to go down a little bit, and may alleviate some of that pressure. But I think the the primary problem is the flights. And and to answer your question, yes, uh, we were uh, extreme focus on making sure that we were minimizing those flights and the best we could in the first and second round. Yeah, and for those who don't know, the Division Three budget is basically set at 3.18%. I think I have the number correct of the entire NCAA budget. Um, and so all that money that comes in, say, from March Madness doesn't really filter down to Division Three that much. But I know that, you know, the, the most recent March Madness contract from Turner was an improvement over the CBS contract. So there must be extra money flowing into Division Three somewhere. Where's that going? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, a great question and one I'm not capable of answering uh, with any firsthand knowledge. I served on the budget committee a number of years ago. My understanding is that the, the, the comp the uh, contract is out for, you know, what, 14 years or 10 years or whatever it is. It has an inflationary increase as a part of it. And obviously the 3.18% that the uh, Division Three gets of the whole kitty thus goes up a little bit with that inflationary increase. There are a lot of requests out there. There's a lot of uh, grant funding that goes on within the division. There's a commitment from the division, based on my knowledge, of a 75-25 split with 75% of the budget going to championships and 25 going to educational opportunities that, you know, I can say our conference has benefited greatly from over the course of the last seven or eight years. So there's a healthy balance. And when there are new monies, there are requests. And, um, you know, my suggestion or my solution to some of the problems here is to somehow figure out a way uh, to, uh, to alleviate some of this concern with, with transportation. And what you do in football uh, you're going to have to apply that in every sport, and uh, there are a lot of sports in Division Three, and there are a lot of opportunities, maybe not as many, maybe not as costly perhaps uh, with the number of people you're transporting, uh, but I'd like them to take a look at it and see if there's a, a better way to handle travel and maybe be able to provide a little more flexibility because, as I said, um, you know, no apologies needed, uh, but Pacific Lutheran and Linfield and, and Louisiana College and Mary Hart Baylor is not, not ideal that we get that. Uh, let's dig into the at-large uh, decision results for a minute. Um, obviously, when you get down to the end, every decision is difficult, and you've got seven at-large teams for you know 24 conferences that got automatic bids. Is there any chance that uh, the fact that Concordia Moorhead would have been a third MIAC team in the field affected some of the con committee's decision? Yeah, I, I don't. It didn't come out from the standpoint of preventing them into the field in that discussion, Pat. That could have been something that the individual members weighed. Uh, when they went through the process. Uh, but I know that part of the equation has been or concern perhaps uh, or would be Bridgewater State and uh, the fact that their numbers uh, related to other uh, two-loss teams perhaps were closer uh, than the other two-loss teams that, uh, that were in the field in Pacific Lutheran and Bethel. Uh, we all are keenly aware, as you, uh, as you know firsthand, um, that, uh, that Terry uh, Haran is on the committee. Uh, 
Uh, Terry did not take part in the uh, the Pool C selections last night. He uh, exited the telephone call uh, really when we started uh, Pool B selections with Wesley, and from that point on was uh, was isolated from the group and uh, actually did not participate in the call until much later when we had the field uh, chosen. So, um, you know, that's part of the process here. Uh, there was no influence on that part from Terry's perspective, and, uh, you know, I think we came up with the seven best teams uh, given the process that we have uh, to, to put in the field and, and advance into the bracket that we announced today. Uh, so, so I, and obviously with Concordia not making the field, that, that clearly shows that he didn't have a lot of influence over the, uh, over the process. That, that's certainly understandable. Um, would it have made a difference if Concordia had played a D3 opponent instead of opening the season with Jamestown? I don't know because we don't know what the result would have been. We don't know who that would have been. Uh, I, think the, I think the SOS is, is tough. And, and the, the Bethel result with, with Moorhead, yeah. we all knew very well. Yeah. And um, it's unfortunate that it happened it, in a very similar way uh, that, the, that the games in the East uh, weren't played because of uh, because of Sandy, and you know our hearts certainly go out to those people that have been affected by that storm, and we recognize the need that those teams had not to play those games. Nobody knows what have happened in those games either, uh, so we couldn't we couldn't assume that, and we couldn't assume that that uh, Concordia Moorhead was going to was going to win the game against Bethel, uh, provided that the penalty didn't happen. Even though I think we all know, had the penalty not happened, we wouldn't have had a, we'd had a different result. About Bridgewater State and the NEFC and the ECFC and, and soon to be the MASCAC as these as the NEFC splits apart, these are teams that basically all play each other and very rarely uh, do any of those teams step outside that conference and play somebody else. So while the, the strength of schedule looks decent, it's always going to kind of float near 500 because these teams have kind of walled themselves off from Division Three and not really played anybody else. In the past... Well, I can't say past years, but in the past year, last year in 2011, um, it really seemed like the committee was trying to dig past the numbers and see, really, you know, try to evaluate as much as possible who it was these teams were playing. Um, and, and it seems like to me that uh, if, if you look and dig into who Bridgewater State plays, and in a sense, the entire conference uh, doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, of quality non-conference opponents. It's really only Salve Regina that might play anybody of uh, of any regional consequence. How far do you guys at this point dig beyond you know just the raw number that's spit out there for Bridgewater State? We have 520, and I would assume that lines up pretty closely with what you guys had. Yeah, I think that um, just specifically, certainly not talking specifically to the conversation that we had last night, the committee uses every resource they have uh, outside of I think somebody's better than the other uh, to make the decision, and each committee member is weighing that on their own. So they're casting a, a ballot that, that we're not coming to any consensus other than having a very open conversation about what the numbers are. And, again, the composition of the committee from year to year is going to change, and the philosophical beliefs of those individuals may differ from one year to the next. I think the biggest challenge that we have as a committee uh, is trying to get everybody on the same page and recognizing the direction that we want to take with selection, be it what you may say, dig a little deeper, let's go further into the numbers, how much those would have revealed in this situation or did reveal in our conversation is really in the eye of the beholder. Um, you know, I think we've had two, two, uh, two lost teams uh, from the standpoint that, that were uh, in the process with Pacific Lutheran and Bethel, uh, and, and whether the, uh, the conversation around Concordia Moorhead being the third team in the MIAC, I think that probably people talked about it or at least thought about it uh, at the 
same time, Bridgewater State's numbers, uh, they were 9-1. and one. Uh, They had, uh, you know, strength of schedule, schedule of like 5-10. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- their numbers look good. They had a regional uh, win over a regionally ranked opponent. And as those things start going and you get close to the end, it's very hard to make a call one way or the other. And, uh, and the committee leaned, leaned in favor of Bridgewater State. In a sense, the fact that the the East Rack stacked those four NEFC teams at the bottom of their regional ranking really made it possible for Bridgewater State to have a win against a regionally ranked opponent. Yeah, and and I don't uh, I can't disagree with you there. And uh, that I don't know if that was necessarily purposeful. Every week, uh, we we certainly look at the region rankings. We look at how they lay them out. Look at who else is on the table that should be ranked or could be ranked and have a very uh, a good dialogue about that, that the numbers ne- weren't necessarily in favor. And I think you alluded to it a little bit, uh, maybe the philosophical tenets of uh, the, the regional advisory committee from one region to the next had a little bit different take on, uh, on undefeated and one loss versus two lost teams and, and what was significant uh, with strength of schedule. So, uh, you know, again, it, it's impossible for me to be able to comment one way or the other on how somebody, uh, you know, weighed one thing over the other. But we do look a little deeper. Uh, we do take uh, a pretty thorough look, and we try to do that uh, even when we're even when we're bracketing. Although sometimes uh, we might we might miss something along the way that's uh, that's a stone left unturned. But but hopefully we don't. I'm not going to ask about too many more teams specifically, but there's one instance that I just want to make sure that we get your take on. Uh, you know, of the two lost teams, you know, obviously uh, three of them got in: Pacific Lutheran, Louisiana College, and Bethel. Um, you know, we've discussed Concordia Moorhead pretty extensively. I think the fan bases at Wheaton and Wabash have been around enough to understand how the uh, selection process works and know that you, you're really not guaranteed anything at two losses. But um, I was hoping you could speak specifically to wisconsin Platteville because those uh, those guys are new to uh, to the national scene in football, and I, I'm not sure that uh, a lot of fans there understand. Yeah, well, I think the issue with uh, wisconsin Platteville, and it's not specifically anything with them, is that when you look at the numbers, uh, they're an eight and two team. They're at point five oh nine, or roughly around that, uh, in a regionally ranked um, loss uh, to Oshkosh. They finished second in a conference that I think, subjectively, we all would agree, based upon the success of what Wisconsin Whitewater has uh, exhibited over the last uh, number of years, is a very good football conference. At the same time, uh, if the numbers don't put you in a position. Uh, necessarily to be considered at those two losses. Uh, you know, they, I'm not familiar exactly of how the end of the Whitewater game took place. My understanding is they maybe they may have gone for two to win the game. Yes. Um, and, and the conversion failed, and therefore they lost by one. Uh, but again, unfortunately, we have to take that in mind. And, and, and Whitewater uh, is lost a number of games, including uh, a game against Buffalo State uh, as a process of that. So that loss uh, certainly might not have been as significant. Uh, as it could have been had Whitewater uh, been in the discussion. Um, I'm just going to go back a couple years. Uh, two years ago, it, it, uh, Platteville and Wheaton played each other. That's a, a series that had gone on, I think, for a little bit of time. These are two teams now that both end up on the bubble, uh, if not farther out on the bubble. Are those the kind of matchups that you guys as a committee would like to see more of? Well, I think we might like to see more of them because they might clear up some of the ambiguity of what of the numbers that we have. Uh, you know, but again, that's an institutional decision who uh, teams end up playing. And, and what you see is uh, it's the same I tell our basketball coaches in the league, the exact same conversation. You know, if you play good teams, 
you are rewarded with the strength of schedule. But in the end, unless you win those games, you're really not part of the conversation. And the times that we've been fortunate in basketball as a conference and been very successful over the last seven or eight years, maybe ten years, it's been because we won games. And in the years that we had extra teams make the tournament, those people who played a good schedule won games. They won out-of-league games. So it clearly it makes a difference. And, um, and I think the influence of strength of schedule probably is increasingly uh, important. Uh, and that's just my impression of that. That's not, uh, that's not any indication as the direction the committee is going to go in the future. But um, to me, just the evolution of what I've seen, clearly we're in a different place than we were four years ago, and that could be influenced by the people that are on the committee. I think entirely that's what it is. What's the one thing that you guys discussed uh, on, the, on, the, on the call that you think would most surprise fans and coaches? Well, I, I think the thing we most uh, have a conversation about is giving everybody an equitable look in the process. And, and the system's set up to do that. It's also set up, uh, as we've discussed, uh, you know, individually, uh, with some inequities um, related to conferences that, in, in this situation, you may allude to Bridgewater State, that, that play each other. Uh, those numbers naturally are going to be around 500. So you have to look a little deeper, and we try to, to, to do a good job of, uh, of vetting each each selection as best as possible. And, and honestly, it's probably no surprise, I hope it's no surprise to the people that are listening, that the committee's focus is, is creating a competitive championship. And, and we're going to use all the tools necessary to do the best job we can making those selections, and most importantly, at least, my focus has been and was last year with Joy's leadership was to create a bracket that was intriguing. And um, whether you like it or not, uh, I, I don't think there's any question that this bracket is intriguing. Uh, it provides us some cross-regional play that, honestly, we don't see cross-regional play that much. And, uh, and we get a chance to see it in, uh, in the championship and get a chance to see who's going to be able to advance through that. Uh, last question, and then I'll let you go. Uh, every year, Kerry Harvey Cutter and the crew in Salem do a great job with the Stag Bowl from a logistics standpoint, and, and there always seems to be a new wrinkle for fans and players. This is going to be the 20th year in Salem. It's going to be the 40th Stag Bowl. What can we expect to be different from recent years this time around, uh, other than the fact that at least one of the teams participating in the game will be different? Well, I think that's probably one of the key things, is that uh, the traditional matchups that we've had over the course of, uh, of the number, last number of years uh, has changed. The, the, the city's really... Uh, put in an increased uh, focus on uh, the facility itself, uh, improving some of the facility, decorating the facility in a different way for the game, trying to enhance the opportunity of the student-athletes and the spectators there. We're going to shuffle some things around. We're going to uh, create a little bit better pregame. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I think we're going to have a great football game, and that's what we're looking to do, and, and hopefully we'll continue to be able to do into the future. I know the city's commitment to the game is uh, – it continues at, at the same pace it has over 20 years, and it's very difficult for me to say on this phone call that I've been there for all 20 of them, uh, <laughs> but I have, and, and it's been a pleasure. And, uh, and we've seen not only the championship grow uh, in its significance uh, over the, the national picture as well as uh, its growth as a championship within uh, Salem confines and within Division Three, but we've also – uh, seen the growth of uh, the product that you have with Division Three football and the audience that I think you have uh, you've helped foster that has created a little bit of a frenzy. And uh, my guess is there used to be a selection 20 years ago, 
uh, and the teams came out, and there was no follow-up other than somebody calling somebody else on the telephone and, and asking them how somebody got in, and they didn't, uh, and how somebody didn't. But now you've at least created that forum to, uh, to provide people the voice uh, to, to exchange those ideas, and that's part of why we live in the United States. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. I hope that is a positive. Um, the uh, You mentioned, of course, that the city's commitment to the Stag Bowl is strong. Uh, how... How strong is the NCA's commitment to the Stag Bowl in Salem, and how how long is the uh, current contract extended out for? Yeah, the, the current contract uh, is through next year, uh, so we have the championship through 2013. My understanding is the bid process will uh, commence sometime this spring, uh, probably even into the summer with discussions. Uh, I'm sure there are other people that are interested in hosting the game. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful adventure, and. Um, I think most importantly for me, I've, I've had a chance to serve on committees and, and, and met some wonderful people in hosting those championships that have been, uh, enhanced my professional uh, career uh, unspeakably. So um, they have, they've changed uh, me personally and professionally, and, uh, and I have a lot of wonderful friends, including, I hope, the, the Division III uh, football crew uh, when you come to town uh, that we never would have had these opportunities to cross paths before. Brad, I uh, definitely appreciate you taking uh, a little more than a half hour out of your time to uh, have this conversation tonight and look forward to talking with you down the road, and we'll see you in Salem. Uh, Pat, thanks a lot again for the opportunity to talk on behalf of the committee, and um, and please uh, tell my buddy Keith hello. Will do. That's uh, Brad Bankston. He's the commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference and the chair of the Division Three Football Championship Committee. Uh, that's an Around the Nation podcast special, and we will have more Around the Nation podcast with me and Keith coming up later.